transmitting live from the top of the Empire State Building on WBAI 99.5 FM Pacifica Radio in New York. This is Trump Watch, The First 100 Days, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm today's host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow Pistachio, just a national. Dog is off sabbatical, round for watching attention. Politician, politician, CNN and all that yo, who are you? Trump and an SNL hilarity. Troublesome times, kid. No time for comedy. Here, along our nation's southwest border, is ground zero in the fight. Here, under the Arizona sun, ranchers are work each day to make an honest living, uh, and law-abiding citizens seek to provide for their families. But it's also here, along this border, that transnational gangs like MS-13 and international cartels flood our country with drugs and leave death and violence in their wake. And it is here that criminal aliens and the coyotes and the document forgers seek to overthrow our lawful system of immigration. When we talk about MS-13 and the cartels, what do we mean? We mean international criminal organizations that turn cities and suburbs into war zones, that rape and kill innocent civilians, and who profit by smuggling poison and other human beings across our borders. Depravity and violence are their calling cards including brutal machete attacks, even beheadings. They threaten the very integrity of our nations in our hemisphere. It is here on this sliver of land, on this border, where the first we first take our stand. A direct, uh, it is a direct threat to our legal system and to our peace and prosperity. Attorney Jeff, Attorney General Jeff Sessions speaking in Nogales, Arizona earlier this month about what he described as, quote, a new era, the Trump era, adding, quote, the lawlessness, the abdication of the duty to enforce our immigration laws and the catch and release practices of old are over, unquote. Hello and welcome to the 20th episode of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent. We've got a special one for you tonight. On the show this evening, we'll be discussing Attorney General Jeff Sessions, his role to reform the Justice Department, plan to relaunch the war on drugs, and difficulty staffing uh, the uh, U.S. Department of Justice positions with three-time Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter Sari Horwitz of The Washington Post. I spoke to her earlier today. In addition to his plans for a decidedly more draconian U.S. policy on illegal immigration prosecution, echoing the sentiments President Trump expressed on the campaign trail, Attorney General Sessions has announced plans to roll back federal oversight agreements with local police implemented under the Obama administration, restructure border policy, and to relaunch the so-called war on drugs that President Nixon began in 1971, President Reagan doubled down on, and which, according to the NAACP, led to the incarceration of 2.3 million people between 1980 and 2008, nearly 1 million of them African-American, a demographic that was incarcerated in the same time period at a rate of 6 to 1 as compared to whites. But in his efforts to engineer such a major overhaul of the Justice Department, Sessions has hit a roadblock. 
Not only has Rod Rosenstein, his nominee for Deputy Attorney General, yet to receive Senate confirmation, but also the nominee for third in command at the Justice Department, Associate Attorney General Rachel, Rachel Brand, rather, is still awaiting Senate confirmation. Hundreds of vital positions reportedly remain unfilled at the Justice Department, including Trump administration replacements for the 93 U.S. attorneys the president ordered to resign last month. Considering the positive view of Trump's chaotic style among his supporters, this may be exactly what some of them wanted. Though with a Justice Department stripped to the bone nearly 100 days into the president's term, does this resemble anything we've seen before in modern political history? Here to discuss the ways that the Justice Department has changed under Jeff Sessions' watch is Sari Horwitz, a three-time Pulitzer Prize winner who's been a reporter for the Washington Post for three decades. Her most recent article, a month after dismissing federal prosecutors, Justice Department does not have any U.S. attorneys in place, appeared in today's edition of the newspaper. Thanks so much for being here, Sari. It's a huge honor. Sure. Glad to be with you. I want to start by explaining a bit about the U.S. attorney system to our listeners. You write that it's the attorney general with some help from his deputy who traditionally appoints the 93 U.S. attorneys. Can you talk about how this process has traditionally gone uh, in the past and how things have been different for this administration? Yes, the U.S. attorneys who are in each state and, of course, prosecute federal crimes in each state, are appointed by the administration, they're nominated, and then they each have to be confirmed by the Senate. Um, in the Obama administration and the Bush administration, of course, they wanted to get their U- own U.S. attorneys in there, but they did it gradually. They eased them out gradually, um, and then sort of one by one would appoint new ones to get them confirmed to finally get all their people in place. What was different in this administration is that last month, Attorney General Jeff Sessions abruptly told the 46-some remaining Obama administration U.S. attorneys to submit their resignations and to leave immediately. And none of them, and or the other 47-some who are already left, have been replaced as of this date. So what we have are acting U.S. attorneys in each of the states who are in charge of these offices and in charge of really carrying out uh, Jeff Sessions' agenda. And why do you think it happened like that, that they uh, dismissed, or uh, I'm not sure what the appropriate term would be, asked these U.S. attorneys to resign before they had replacements in place? You know, that's a good question, and there have been lots of theories. We don't know for sure. Some people believe that they wanted to get rid of Preet Bharara, who is a U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, and they had promised him he could hold on to the job. And so they decided to just get rid of everyone at, at one time. Um, it, it's not clear why they did it this way without having anyone in place. And we know now that this process is going to take many months before they have people in place because once they nominate someone... They have to go again before the Senate Judiciary Committee and the senators from their home state to weigh in on whether they like them or not. And so this is a drawn out process. I want to just go back to something you said for a second, as far as if this was a way to downplay possibly 
um, the firing of Preet Bharara. Could you just talk a little bit about that process? It was very strange. He met with Trump in, in Trump Tower between the election and when Trump was inaugurated. Uh, Trump reportedly asked him to go down to the lobby and make a statement that he uh, was going to stay on, that the president-elect had asked him to stay on. What do you think changed in the process? You know, we don't really know um, what exactly happened there. Preet Bharara, sort of a famous U.S. attorney in the Southern District of New York, is is uh, face has been on the cover of Time magazine. He's um, very independent, fiery U.S. attorney. He's taken on corporate crime and terrorism and um, just extremely well-known. And he was known to Donald Trump, who met with him, and as you said, in Trump Towers and told him he wanted to keep him. And um, I think Barrara was very um, honored and excited to stay in the job. And it came to him as a complete surprise when he got the call saying that he too, among all the other U.S. attorneys, had to leave. There was speculation that maybe he was investigating something the Trump administration didn't want him to investigate. We don't really know the answer. And Donald Trump had been trying to call him, right? And he didn't want to receive the calls because he thought it might be a conflict for him to be talking to the president. Exactly, exactly. The day before uh, the mass firings, he uh, got a call from the White House saying that the president wanted to talk to him. He checked sort of with an ethics officer. He checked with the main justice in Washington and said that he didn't think it'd be a good idea to have such a conversation. Um, He's working on a lot of, he was working on a lot of um, you know, sensitive investigations. And, uh, you know, like I said, he's, a, he's very independent. You report that it's not only Rod Rosenstein nominated for deputy attorney general, who's not yet been confirmed, but also the woman who would be third in command at the Justice Department, Rachel Brand, uh, the nominee for associate attorney general, who's still waiting for Senate confirmation. Why do you think it's been so difficult for Sessions to get his staff in place? You know, it's, it's, it's really a larger problem, I think, that this administration um, has uh, hundreds of vacancies for key, for critical uh, positions. And people say, and, and this has been reported by um, several people, that the process is really bogged down um, across agencies. Um, it's not just the Justice Department, it's the State Department, Labor Department, it's all of these agencies it partly is micromanaging by the president uh, and his senior staff. There, there seem to be sort of turf wars between the White House and the de- departments, the cabinet secretaries. You know, there's also the issue, issue you're dealing with inexperienced staff, overworked staff, lots of reasons. But it's hard for these uh, agency heads, especially the attorney general, who's eager to get on with his agenda to not have people in place. Uh, as you said, Rachel Brand has not been confirmed yet. Rod, Rod Rosenstein, key person, he's number two, really runs the day-to-day Justice Department. There's no head of the Civil Rights Division, very, very important division in the Justice Department, uh, no head of the Criminal Division, the Civil Division, and on and on. So would it be fair to say that they're badly understaffed right now in the Justice Department? Yes, they are badly understaffed. It's probably important to clarify at this point that these 93 U.S. attorney positions are currently being staffed by career acting U.S. attorneys. But one of the main thrusts of your article Um, was that the acting U.S. attorneys may not be eager to jump on the bandwagon with the Trump administration's policies. How are some of the ways that these acting U.S. attorneys 
could slow down Sessions' agenda? Or what are some of the ways? Well, one of the things that Sessions is telling his his prosecutors out there, their, their assistant U.S. attorneys, their career folks, in other words, they have not been politically appointed, and he's telling them that he wants to step up the prosecution of illegal immigrants, he wants to crack down on illegal immigration, um, charge people coming across the border with felonies. He wants his prosecutors to use every tool they have, and that includes mandatory minimum sentencing or charging, uh, to go after violent criminals and drug traffickers. Well, you know, that's somewhat of a discretionary thing. You know, he can order that, but in the end, it depends on what, you know, prosecutors want to do in each of these offices. So, if you want someone to really follow through and enforce that policy, you need to have your guy in place. And, you know, someone I interviewed for my story, Matthew Miller, former Justice Department spokesman uh, for Eric Holder, he said that if you're a Democrat, you might be happy to have these positions not filled, to have them uh, be held by career officials, because they're probably less likely to go after, follow through with some of the policies Jeff Sessions wants. But if you're a supporter of President Trump, you want these positions to be filled so that his agenda is followed through with. You report uh, in your article that by March of Obama's first year in office, the Senate had confirmed the deputy and associate attorneys general, along with the solicitor general, and that the Senate had also confirmed an assistant attorney general for the National Security Division. Uh, What about the Clinton or either Bush administrations? Uh, uh, How unprecedented is this lack of staff at the Justice Department right now? Um, well, yes, you're right. First of all, I just want to say that the, the Senate had confirmed all those positions already by March. So Elena Kagan, who's now a Supreme Court justice, was confirmed as Solicitor General. David Chris, National Security Division, everybody was in place, ready to go. Um, and and the Bush administration did, 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 did similar as uh, the Obama administration is they didn't let everyone go right away in terms of the U.S. Attorney's Office. One situation that is a little similar to what Jeff Sessions did is in 1993, President Bill Clinton's attorney general, uh, Janet Reno, she also had all her U.S. attorneys resign, and it took her several months to get U.S. attorneys in those offices. So it's not completely unprecedented what he did. And what about in the Bush administration, were these positions filled by now uh, in, in the George W. Bush administration, that is? In the George W. Bush administration, he did not let everybody go at once. Right. Again, it was a more of a gradual process, um, and uh, so it was, he wasn't facing the situation that Jeff Sessions is facing now, which is he's talking to his prosecutors in memos and in speeches he's giving about how he wants them to crack down on violent crime and drug trafficking and illegal immigrants. And yet he doesn't really have his commanders out in the field. But you mentioned a a quote from Sessions about how these, uh, you know, acting U.S. attorneys can be uh, very effective. Is this him just trying to spin this or do you think that he might have a plan for how to work with uh, the acting U.S. attorneys if he can't get his own nominees in there for a while? I think the attorney general is trying to do the best with the situation he has right now. He uh, convened yesterday in Washington um, a big meeting of top 
federal law enforcement officials, the head of the DEA, the head of the ATF, the head of the FBI. And the press was let into that for a few minutes. And I asked him about this, what he was going to do about the fact he didn't have all these U.S. attorneys in place. And he said, we really need to work hard at that. I mean, I think he knows what he's facing. Um, On the other hand, he knows it's going to be months before he has those people in place. And so he wants to start working the best he can with the acting U.S. attorneys and the assistant U.S. attorneys who are, again, career prosecutors. And he said that they, quote, respond pretty well to presidential leadership was the quote I was looking for. So, yes. You're, so that so that's a, yes. a little bit of him trying to uh, sort of uh, put a good face on not a great situation, you're saying? Exactly. I think that, you know, I think he's probably frustrated. He doesn't have everyone in place. It's not all up to him. They've got to get nominations. The Trump administration has to get nominations to Capitol Hill. And like I said, it's not only these 93 U.S. attorneys. It's all these key positions in Maine justice. So he's got a lot of positions to fill and he wants to move forward on his new criminal justice agenda. I also wanted to talk about your April 8th Washington Post article, how Jeff Sessions wants to bring back the war on drugs. What are some of the ways Sessions hopes to use his authority to do this? You know, I think that he's very much going to use these U.S. attorney's offices uh, to do this. Um, you know, his views on this, it, it really is a different worldview than the Obama administration. So you have to understand what the Obama administration thought about the same issue. Obama was trying to use the federal government to, for example, hold police accountable, make sure they didn't violate the Constitution, Um, or use excessive force or racially discriminate against people in their communities. The Sessions Justice Department is, for example, saying they think the federal government went too far and needs to pull back on that approach and respect local police more, provide them more support. And so what we've seen is he's writing memos talking about how all of the investigations and the consent decrees, the agreements between the Justice Department and local uh, governments and police departments need to be all reviewed um, again to see if they should move forward. So he's like reviewing what the Obama administration did to see whether he wants to take that same approach. In terms of the war on drug, uh, I'm sorry, the drug war, (laughs) the war on drugs, um, the Obama administration felt like um, that had gone too far and that the national strategy of the 1980s and the 1990s that sent tens of thousands of people to prison with these really harsh mandatory minimums um, had caused what we now call mass incarceration. And um, Jeff Sessions, in his speeches and in his memos, is talking about a return to those policies, uh, a, a, a feeling that crime is rising in certain cities like Chicago and Baltimore, Milwaukee, and that that is really a harbinger that's a sign that crime is going to go up nationally and we need to get back to this tough-on-crime approach. What do you think are some of the more likely measures to go into effect as a result of this war on drugs 2.0? You know, I think that um, one thing we may see is uh, Eric Holder, when he was the attorney general, sent a memo to his U.S. attorneys telling them to not charge low-level drug offenders with crimes that would bring these mandatory minimum sentences, these long prison sentences, 10, 20, 50, sometimes life without parole, 
um, he, he, he was telling them, you know, use them to Christian discretion. Only use those when you've got, you know, these uh, heads of cartels and, and, and don't do it with low-level offenders. I think we might see a reversal of that memo, the Holder memo. I think that the Sessions Department, uh, Justice Department may uh, say, well, well, we want you to, as he's already say, use every tool you have to go after drug traffickers. He's also talked a lot about his feelings regarding marijuana. He's expected to take a harder line on uh, the punishment for using and distributing marijuana. He's often spoke out against marijuana. And he said last week that his crime task force will review existing marijuana policy. Now, that's very interesting because while it's illegal under federal law, we know what's happening in the states. Eight states in the District of Columbia permit the recreational use of marijuana. And 28 states and D.C. have legalized the use of medical marijuana. So we'll have to watch and see what he does because he's always been a state's rights uh, advocate. But this is a clash of federal law against state law. Would any of those measures that you just discussed fall into that category of things that acting U.S. attorneys may not be willing to go along with? Well, they may not pursue them as aggressively as he wants them to be pursued. A lot's been made of the apparent decline in influence of uh, White House chief strategist Steve Bannon in the wake of the president's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner's increasing influence. Bannon was reportedly a major advocate for Sessions and even had hoped he would run for president before Trump. Sessions refused. I realize you're a reporter, not a pundit. But do you believe that the the decline of Bannon could in some way affect Sessions' authority, either at the Justice Department or his relationship with the president? I'm not a pundit, but I, I would say no to that question because Jeff Sessions is very close to Donald Trump um, and, and was a huge supporter of Donald Trump from the get-go. He was the first senator to come out in favor of Donald Trump. Uh, back in February of 2016, and he uh, was way ahead of his colleagues. He supported him, and he campaigned for him. He was involved in advising him um, during the campaign, and even as so far as advising him on the vice presidential uh, uh, nomination in, in, in his partnership with uh, Pence. Um, he's very respected. In the White House, uh, I, I believe by Kushner also. So I don't think you're going to see a problem with his authority and his ability to do anything um, in terms of uh, his relationship with the president. Now, the other thing to point out is that his chief uh, 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 staff, when he was in the Senate, where he served for 20 years as a senator from Alabama, was a man named Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller is now a top senior um, advisor in the White House to the president. Right. And and there's been a lot of reports on Bannon's decline in influence, but I have not seen that same kind of reporting regarding Steve Miller. No, and Miller is uh, very close to Jeff Sessions. As I said, he worked for him for years, and he's also uh, very respected by Donald Trump. Right. And Sessions was the first member of the Senate to endorse Donald Trump when he was running for president. Exactly. You know, as I said, he came out for him back in February of 2016. He was way out in front before anyone else did. Um, his immigration 
policy, his views on immigration aligned with Donald Trump's um, and his views of the world, really his, his, his views on crime and uh, immigration, two key issues that, uh, that we're seeing now play out in the Justice Department are really in line with the president's. Finally, as someone who's been one of the nation's foremost authorities on the Justice Department for some time, what are your impressions of this current moment in Washington, D.C.? Do you feel like we are, as some people say, in uncharted territory? It's a very unusual time for reporters um, in this. And I've been reporting here for 30 years. I've never seen anything quite like this. Um, and so, you know, we're kind of taking it day by day. But what, what we're seeing in terms of the Justice Department is sort of an extraordinary uh, turnaround from the Lynch, Loretta Lynch Justice Department, the Obama Justice Department, where the emphasis really was on uh, civil rights. And uh, we're going to see big changes in the Civil Rights Division. Uh, the, the, the department already is pulling um, away somewhat from the Baltimore consent decree, the police consent decree. Uh, they've made changes in their position um, on a voting rights case playing out in Texas. So, And it's only been a couple of months. So I think we're just going to see huge changes in the Justice Department. Um, and it's uh, an extraordinary, extraordinary time as a reporter to be covering uh, Washington. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. My guest has been Sari Horowitz, a three-time Pulitzer Prize winner who has been a reporter for the Washington Post for three decades. Her most recent article, a month after dismissing federal prosecutors, Justice Department does not have any U.S. attorneys in place, appeared in today's edition of the newspaper. You're listening to Trump Watch, the first hundred days on WBAI, 99.5 FM, Pacifica Radio in New York. That's going to do it for this week. Big thanks to everyone who's listened to any of the first 20 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent. Here's to 20 more. Also, big thanks to Tony Bates, Bertold Reimers, and our engineer extraordinaire, Reggie Johnson, without any of whom this show would not be possible. Trump Watch with Jesse Lent is available as an iTunes podcast. Find all 20 episodes in the iTunes store, the podcast app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also stream or download the show at our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash TrumpWatchWBAI, or in the WBAI archives at WBAI.org. You can keep the conversation going on Twitter using the hashtag TrumpWatchWBAI, or follow me at the handle JLentNews. You can also contact me directly at the email address jesse at WBAI.org, or find us on Facebook, where... Our hash, it's facebook.com slash TrumpWatchWBAI. We always love to hear from our listeners. You're the reason we do it. Stay tuned for the Katie Halper Show coming up at 7. And I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time.